HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. It is Thursday, 1 o'clock, and once again, you have tuned into the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. We're coming to you live from the back of Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. My name is Erin Fairbanks, and I'm your host. And today we are speaking with Laura De Maria from Hemlock Hill Farm up in Cortland Manor, New York. Laura, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm excited to learn more about Hemlock Hill, so let's just launch right in. Maybe you can set us up with a little bit of history uh, on the farm. Sure, absolutely. Um, Hemlock Hill Farm is located in Cortland Manor, New York, in Westchester County, so only about 38, 40 miles from New York City, north. Um, We were established in 1939. My grandfather was a Bronx native and always dreamed of owning a farm, Uh, moved up here around that time, purchased this big lot of land, and began dairy farming. Um, In about, uh, fast-forwarding a little bit, about 1975, my father built a slaughterhouse on the property, started growing livestock. You know, the dairy business kind of went downhill, so he was growing pigs mostly, hogs at that time, had a lot of um, immigrants from Italy and... and, um, and uh, Portuguese and Filipino people that would come out and buy whole pigs, and he obtained a custom license. And and um, so we've kind of been working the same way ever since and um, getting a much broader audience right now. So uh, here we are, and it's just kind of taking off, especially in the last five years, um, more so the local community. So it's it's been good. That's exciting. Good timing on your part, right? You were born in the right moment. Exactly. My sister tried um, farming here about 15 years ago, and it seemed like she couldn't get anyone's attention. And and then I came on just uh, well eight years ago, and um, and now in the past few years, it just seems like wow, everybody's ready to um, to pay attention to what we're doing here, not just you know the the immigrants. So 
which is good. It's exciting. You know, we have the local attention as well. Yeah, so you can diversify your customer base a little bit. Absolutely. Um, so that's awesome. So how, let's uh, get a little bit of the physical layout. I mean, how how big is the land, and can you describe it a little bit for us? I mean, do you have... Are you on any kind of water? Is it hilly? Is it rocky? Is it, you know, what's sure. kind of the... Sure. The terrain, well, we're in the Hudson Valley, so it's the rolling hills, um, you know, the the stone walls, the, the woods that... Uh, we have 120 acres, and so we farm about, about 80 acres, and the rest is woodlot. And then we are up against the Hunter Brook, which flows into the... Um, the reservoir, which is a part of the um, drinking water. And so we are buffered by all protected land, which is nice. You know, we're not right up against any developments or anything like that. So we have that that buffer, which is really nice, especially since we are growing livestock and there can be a bit of manure smell here and there when we spread on the fields. We don't have anyone complaining, really, so that's nice because of the area we're in. You know, it's pretty rural, so... Pretty rural and yet so close to the city. I mean, I'm always struck, you know, you get in a car and you don't even have to drive much more than half an hour before you're hitting exactly those kind of vistas that that you're talking about. Um, what are those? So what are you, you said you guys had a history as a dairy farm and you moved more into livestock production. So what are you what are you producing now? Well, right now, um, just to give you some numbers so you get a better idea, we have about 100 uh, Black Angus beef cattle, um, all pasture-raised. Um, we have hogs here, that, uh, about usually about uh, 50 to 60 on hand at any given time. Um, lambs, some goats, um, chickens. We raise 1,200 baby chicks, day-old chicks. We raise those here every month. Um, some ducks, some geese turkey some rabbits we do wow. a little bit of everything <laughs> and what about uh any like vegetable production are you growing hay or it's mostly yeah. just pasture management for the livestock or sure we have about um uh let's see a little under 20 acres of crop of hay crop that we grow for the cattle mostly the cattle um so when they're not you know pastured when we have grass, um, they're eating the hay in the winter. So um, that's what that is for. We also have two gardens. We have a CSA that we do here on the farm, a little bit of pick-your-own, and and then we grow, oh, a little bit of everything, tomatoes, lettuce, um, you name it, anything we could grow in this region, we grow it, which is nice, too, to give to our vegetarian customers. <laughs> yeah. Are you seeing anything? I know it's been kind of such a weird season with such the, such a warm uh, winter this year. I mean, have you noticed that uh, on the farm any kind of changes from previous years with, with regards to the weather? Things are coming up a little sooner or you're able to do something different with the animals or... Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone's kind of asking us the same thing, and we're just as confused as everyone, but I believe, we all believe we're going to have an early spring, so we have even begun to prepare the gardens. We've begun to plow a bit and oxygenate the soil. Um, the, the animals certainly love it. You know, the cattle are free-range. They have a little run-in shed, but um, even so, when it does snow and it's a hard winter, they don't really mind. They'll be out there in that, but they're burning more energy. So this year it was nice. They were actually just laying down in the <laughs> in the nice 
summer, uh, I'm sorry, in the nice sun and um, just enjoying that. But we do find ourselves just really preparing the fields and, and really getting ready. I was just looking outside today and I saw just, you could see every day a little bit more green. Wow. And less, and less brown. Ugh, so. I'm so ready for I, It's like I don't even feel like justified saying that I'm so ready for it because, I know. I have, you know. <laughs> it's, it, I have a feeling it's going to be a very hot summer and um, that, you know, we'll just be a little weary about. But other than that, I think, um, yeah, we're just going to have to move things a little bit faster than we usually do this time of year. So you said that you have been back on the farm full time for the past eight years. Um where, uh, what were you doing kind of in the interim? I mean, you, you grew up and did you go off farm for a while or what was? Yeah, I, I always, you know, want, I always envisioned myself being involved with the farm. I just, as a young child, didn't know how or when or what I would be doing with it. Um, so I, I went to, I graduated from SUNY Oneonta in 2003 with a degree in mass communications. Um, went down to the city, worked for about six months at MTV Studios in the advertising department. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little different for a farm girl, but um, realized um, it was exciting and there was plenty of perks, but it just was not for me. Um, and I, I quickly came back to the farm and, and said, you know, I want to take this on, take it seriously. I have three older sisters. They all tried it out, and I truly believe it wasn't the right time, their time or or their audience's time. So I took it on, and, and it's been a lot of work. But um, like I said, it is the right timing, and I think it's, it's, it's going to be a good road ahead. Yeah, well, and I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about people who are, are looking to um, engage with agriculture today is, one, like it is such a time that's ripe, like people, customers are, are really responsive, businesses are responsive, kind of even legislatively, like people are, are just kind of a little more engaged with issues uh, facing people uh, growing food, in particular in the Northeast. And I'm just curious, like, how does the the work schedule of the farm kind of suss out? I mean, one of the things that's always such a challenge, I feel, is farmers have to be good at so many things, you know, taking care of the animals, taking care of the land, bookkeeping, you know, accounting, being accountable to the USDA. And you guys have so many different things going on. Can you talk a little bit about your team up there and kind of how the who's doing kind of what jobs and, and how that got divided or how fluid that might be on a day-to-day basis? Sure, yeah. We always joke around and say we're, we're always wearing multiple hats because I'll be in the office and then I'll run over to the store and I'll be, you know, either helping customers or taking inventory or, um, and then my father's, you know, working on, for many years we were working on preserving the farm and, and filling out applications for that and constantly speaking with legislators, and, and then he's driving a truck to Pennsylvania to pick up <laughs> machinery, and, oh, you know, we're, we're all over the place, and, um, and it's, it's tough. It's, it's definitely not easy, and it's, it's, you know, you're not financially set. You know, you're not Rockefeller or anything where you can just hire a bunch of people or, you know, and just kind of sit back and be, be the owner of the farm. It doesn't work that way, so it's okay. It's very rewarding in the end, but, um, we have been lucky, or or however you might want to call it, but we've had two workers, 
farmhands that have been with us. One has been with us for over 18 years and another for about 14 years. Wow. So they're very dedicated. They love what they do. They love the animals. Um, and that shows a lot right there. I mean, they know this farm in and out. Every every inch of this farm, they really they really know it. And that, that really, um, really means a lot and is... It helps us so much. So um, my father's 79. He still is actively involved. He (laughs) does not want to stop working. So, you know, more power to him, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) And um, so it's good. I think we see a lot of dedication, which is really nice. People really love what they do here. That's great. And do you guys do, I mean, I just, I know a lot of uh, listeners are always interested in getting some time on a farm. Do you guys do any type of internship programs or can people come up and visit or if, if they wanted to, just you're so close to the city, is that something that works for you yeah. guys or? Yeah, it's funny. I just, t- my last two customers were exploring as they called it. They just came up from New York City for the day and they're just kind of roaming around Westchester and and that was neat. So we always encourage visitors to come up. We're open seven days a week and um, you could definitely just come up, walk around the farm, see the animals. We have a retail store, pop in there, just say hello. Um, We will this summer, I think starting, actually starting in May, we'll be doing farm tours and so you could kind of just get a more detailed um, explanation on what we do here. And then um, also incorporating a little more education on what we do. We also have a butcher shop. So it's, it's you know, we raise the animal, we butcher, and it's full circle here. So it's, it's people to make that connection. Sometimes it's hard, and we try to explain that the best way we know how. And, um, and um well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I, that. I mean, that sounds great, and also just like very generous of of your your time and resources to to be able to really concentrate on having an educational component is so yeah. special. We get the New York City schools too that that want to come up. So that's that's another thing that we are trying to incorporate into um, the farm. Now, can you talk a little bit about? So you guys are are currently doing slaughtering and butchering on the farm. Is that Right. Yes, we have. So my father, you know, in, in 1975, had built a custom slaughterhouse. So we are state inspected, and we're allowed to butcher whole animals for private use. So you could purchase a whole hog, a whole lamb. Um, we do sell halves and quarters of beef, go in on shares with other families, and that we all butcher here. Uh, we also butcher chickens here. That falls in our license as well. Um, and that kind of leads us to where we're going, um, trying to pursue a USDA license, which will allow us to butcher 100% everything here on the farm and not have to bring the beef to a USDA plant in order to sell retail cuts of meat at oh. our store. Okay. I mean, th- this is something we've kind of touched on on the show before, kind of the difference between having a state license and a USDA license. And and my understanding is more or less kind of the actual components of what you're doing the actual you know slaughter the actual um butchering can can remain the same it's really who you can sell it to and then is there also some type of like tracking component that changes well yeah i mean usda requires a lot more um 
let's see, there's a, there's a many more regulations that you have to follow by um, when you're working with the federal, you know, agency opposed to the state. So um, we have to sort of renovate our building a bit to meet their codes and, um, and their regulations. We also will be inspected every day when we're either slaughtering or, or processing the meat. Um, so unfortunately, they don't make it very easy for a small plant like us. You know, it's something we've been dealing with for a couple of years now, and finally I think we have the demand we need to really be serious about this and really go after it. Otherwise, there's just, unfortunately, there's those main, there's about five of them main slaughterhouses in the states where they do most of all the meat processing. And um, for us, the little guy, we just kind of get pushed to the side and are easily able to obtain a custom license, but not really a USDA. Yeah, I think it's kind of fascinating and I think also touches on just really, and maybe this is a little big picture for the show, but just kind of how the U.S. government works where we, you know, you have the federal systems and you have the state systems and, and you know, they can be really different and really vary from state to state. And, you know, the the rules and the regulations and the processes, I mean, are all, you know, the intent is to, to create a safer food supply, but in practice, I think, you know, you kind of highlight some of those challenges where there's, you know, either economies of size or scale, and then also the resources that a place might have to put towards even just understanding the the process uh, of attaining those licenses that can be, you know, an unexpected barrier to entry. So it's great that you guys are having some success and kind of are at a point where that's something you can pursue we are going to take a, a quick break here, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the preservation process that you mentioned earlier. So hold That's tight. Good. This program has been sponsored by the Hearst Ranch. At Hearst Ranch, ranch manager Cliff Garrison describes their philosophy. Raising cattle on grass is both an ancient practice and one that is standard in much of the modern world. Sometimes the old ways are the right ways. We believe that our methodology is the right one for us. For more information on their premium grass-fed beef, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Waves by the late Jay Dilla on The Farm Report. All right, we are back on the line with Laura De Maria of Hemlock Hill Farm. So, Laura, like I said before the break, I was curious, you mentioned that you guys have... um, in the recent past, gone through the process of actually preserving your farm. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you decided to pursue that and, and what it looked like and what it kind of means for you long term. Sure. Um, what we did was a preservation. Um, we sold off our development rights, so therefore we, we can never you know, sell the land to a, a developer, which is a great thing especially in the area where we are in Westchester County. Um, One thing I'd like to mention is it's always been something my grandmother and my father were were trying to pursue even 30 years ago, and people were like, you know, the government agencies were like, what are you talking about? You know, that's that's not necessary for us to do that now. And then... 
finally here we are with all this development. They're like, yes, yes, we need to preserve your 120 acres, especially surrounded in the um, in the watershed. So um, we were actually the first and hopefully not the last. I know that they have been suspending giving out grants for this for the, the last couple of years, but the first in Westchester County to receive the um, preservation on a farm. So um, the Westchester County was involved. The farm falls in two towns, Yorktown Heights and Cortland Manor. They were involved. And then the state was the, the biggest part of the grant um, that helped preserve the farm, which we officially did uh, 2011. Oh, wow. Recent. That's very recent. Well, congratulations. So did you guys, were you working with a particular land trust or organization like American Farm Land Trust or someone who kind of helped guide you through that process? I think, yeah, we have to give the most credit to the West, the um, Watershed Agricultural Council. They're based in Yorktown Heights. Um, they really, really guided us through this process, um, which was great. And they, they helped to fund little projects like our manure facility, composting facility here on the farm. Um, the Westchester Land Trust was involved a bit. You could certainly reach out to those groups now, um, Westchester Land Trust and um, the Watershed Agricultural Council. And, and, but the process did take about five years. Uh, you know, it, unfortunately, you know, we, we thought it would take only a couple of years, but the state being in the situation they were, prolonged it a bit so so um, what i mean what that what essentially selling your development rights means for a farm like yours is that you know were you to retire or decide that you know you guys are just you've had it this farming thing's not working and you wanted to to sell your land you guys have essentially entered a legal contract that says you can if whoever you sell it to is only allowed to use it in particular ways Exactly. Um, they cannot develop it. It'd be best if they continue farming, agriculture. However, that's not, you know, in concrete. They don't have to do agricultural farming. They could they could just keep it open space and have a couple of horses here if they wanted. You know, they don't have to... Be actively um, farming. Right, grow and serve the community. So... Um, just could basically, you cannot buy this property and put up ten to a hundred houses here. Okay, and and then what that means when you essentially set the the funding aspect of it is, you you're essentially selling these development rights to either the land trust or the conservation organization that you're working with. And so then as a farmer, you get this kind of one time infusion of capital that then you can you, you know you can choose to use for whatever you want, or are there restrictions placed on that? Well, in our case, it was a little tricky. We had a very large mortgage to pay off on the farm, and um, I think that's almost one of the reasons why we were chosen out of the four other farms that applied that year in um, in 06. So um, we most of the money that we did receive paid that mortgage off left us with with a bit to now put towards a business plan um they do not require you to use the money in any way as i believe i know that if you do have mortgage or taxes owed those that must be paid off that must be paid off the day of the closing okay 
Okay, interesting. Because they don't want you to have any more financial burden and, you know. So so then essentially it's it's protecting the farm by one protecting the land but also protecting the the um the the business essentially that that is on the land by 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 easing some of the the financial strains you have there. So and I think it's you do you know you did mention Westchester County and like the development pressure being pretty intense in that region but maybe you could talk about some of the, what are some of the other um kind of factors that are pluses or minuses about being located there, whether it's like geographical or access to market or what, what makes, you know, farming in Westchester County different than say Washington County or somewhere out in Western New York. Right. It, it's great for the business, you know, the, the, it's great that we're the only farm here and, and people have somewhere to come and shop and we're in a great central location, very close to the city. Geographically, it's, it's wonderful for that reason. For farming purposes, it's not always the best. I mean, when, when something breaks down or we need a part or if um, anything, when it comes to the livestock or, or the farm, it's very hard to just, hey, run out to your local tractor supply or, or whatnot and, and go get that because there's really nothing around. Um, you know, say you, you just need, well, any any sort of farming equipment or supplies, it, it, that's, that's where it becomes a little difficult and frustrating at times. Um, we do love, you know, taking a ride out to Lancaster County in Pennsylvania and and my father's been doing that for about 35 years, has some great connections with some of the Amish community, and we're able to pick up some supplies there. But, um, and, you know, in that aspect, it's a little hard. With the with the business, though, it's great. I mean, people just are sort of amazed when they come here that there's a farm in Westchester County, and, and they just have so many questions, and it's wonderful because a lot of people just do not know what a a farm is. Right, right. So it's like nice to be able to engage with the public like that. And so I think what you're touching on is some of those like larger kind of infrastructure issues that make uh, farming, like regional farming economy kind of work or be more challenging. So things like, yeah, access to tractor supply or other farm supply, but also, you know, distribution services, slaughter services, veterinary services. I mean, it sounds like you guys are taking on a lot of those things in-house. By Right, right. Our, our vet is actually the gentleman who's been with us for 18 years, so he's a certified vet. Oh, wow. Um, nice. Yeah, and he's our head farmer. So we're very fortunate in, in when it comes to things like that. I guess we've just kind of played our cards right, if you have it, or my father has, and he's really set us up, you know, well here. I mean, his experience, his knowledge, his, his uh, connections, I guess, have you. It's 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 hard for a new farmer to start off, especially in an area like this, and not know anything. So, all of the I'm third generation now, so everything has gotten passed down to me, and it's 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 nice to have that. Yeah, it's like it's a it's a real resource. Well, and also something I think that deserves um, you know protection and support, um, like being able to to have the option to sell your development rights and the state services. Um, and the organizations that kind of help make that happen. Um, Want to talk a little bit more about what about about the the livestock and the animals on the farm, and maybe you can just kind of take us through from beef to to chickens to pigs, and talk a little bit about what breeds you're working with, and maybe why uh, you chose that that breed. 
over over something else or or kind of your growing practices i know you mentioned that the cattle are free-ranging and how that works in the northeast mm-hmm. yeah for us it's just the natural approach i mean it's, it, it only makes sense to do it that way um i i don't we have no reason to feedlot our cattle and grow them in such a manner so fast and and have such a great turnover rate i mean it's it's just not our business. It's not what we practice. So um, we have the land to set them free, and so that's naturally what we do. Uh, same with the chickens. Um, I think I mentioned the, already the cattle are black Angus, um, almost 100%. We do have some herfer in the mix, um, so you'll see the black Angus with the white face or even some Charlies. We have a couple of those. Um, the chickens, we have some Plymouth Rock. Those are the gray and white speckled chickens. We have some of the black rock, all black silky chicken, the white rock, which which are nice. Um, they kind of are pretty chicken when you see one roasting. It's like a, a pretty breasted chicken. They're all slow-growing chickens, though. It's not like the Purdue chicken you might see in the store where it's very plump and large and grows full-grown in about five weeks. So ours are slow-growing. You'll have a chicken at around 13 weeks or so. Um, wow, so more than double. Yeah. More yeah. than double the time. And, I mean, I think that's when, one of those points where the actual kind of genetics of an animal, um, you know, makes such a... You can you can kind of understand, like, the different trajectories that egg has gone, where you've essentially um, selected chickens for for being able to grow to an adequate weight in a very short amount of time, but not necessarily based on, you know, flavor or, or texture. It's just kind of what you preference. And so the breed, some of the breeds, it sounds like that you're working with, I mean, what would be the benefits of choosing them over choosing one of the faster growing breeds? I mean, do, is there a taste difference? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You'll, once people come here and they taste the chicken, they say, you know, it's, it's nothing like what you get in the store, nothing like the commercial breed, um, which I've tasted, and, and I, I, I truly believe that myself. I think our, a lot of people, Americans, are used to chicken cutlets and breasts of the chicken. They don't really eat much of the other parts of the chicken, at least on a whole. I'm not speaking about everyone, of course, but... Um, so you'll find in order to have such plump chicken cutlets or breasts, you need to have a bird that actually produces that. Ours are not huge. They're not hugely breasted. So, um, I think they kind of made (laughs) that chicken to, to grow in a certain way. And that's what they, that they've come to. And it's, it's much less flavor, um, ours growing so slow and free range and pecking outside, it's, gives them a really nice earthy flavor. Yeah, and I, I was kind of being a little cheeky because I've actually had the pleasure of eating a couple of your roasters and okay. they were awesome. I also have to say, and this is like a little weird, but I noticed that, um, you know, in comparison with a lot of other, uh, you know, smaller scale producers and smaller scale slaughterhouse chickens that I've seen, I thought that the processing was done so nicely. I mean, I, I just wanted to compliment, you know, the people who are doing the, that work for you because it really stood out the way that um, the carcass had obviously been handled and, and was um, yeah, taken care of and, and packaged and everything was so great. Um, 
But if people want to purchase some of your stuff, I mean, you mentioned that there's a retail outlet up at the store, but how else can they taste some of your products? Well, thanks to Heritage Foods, we are now available in the city in Manhattan on Essex Street at your um, little marketplace there. Um, So you can find our beef there. You'll soon find our chicken there. Right now, yes, they're just carrying our beef. So you'll find our chicken there soon. Um, Of course, we are only 40 miles north of Manhattan. If you'd like to take a ride up and see the farm, that's nice. And we have a nice store up here as well. Um, We do deal with probably one or two distributors, uh, small ones that, well, one mainly distributes to restaurants. So we are in a couple restaurants about five or six in the Westchester area. And then we have, we work with Mike's Organic Delivery. He's in Connecticut. Um, so that's about it for right now. You know, we're not, we're not huge. So we, we kind of try to keep it within the community and are honored to have, have been working with Heritage Foods actually, but I don't think we'd expand too much more. Beyond that. Now, are you guys organic? Did I, I, kind of missed asking that but we we um are not 100 percent organic we're not certified through any organization at the moment um we do take the nofa pledge i don't know if everyone is familiar with nofa um the northeast organic farming organization which is almost it's just it's very close to being organic without being certified, being certified, being regulated through any agency. Um, there's some little glitches there where we just cannot. For instance, we work with a microbrewery in, Ple- in Elmsford, New York, and some of the grain, the brewer's grain, the spent brewer's grain, after they're done brewing the beer, we feed some of that to the cattle. Um, they cannot source 100% certified organic grain. They're, they do use some but not 100%. And so you have some little things like that that really, you unless you're 100%, you cannot right. become certified. So. Right, and you have to make those choices too, like what's more important, to like partner with another regional business or to really right. pursue the or, certification. You know, or really cutting down on the carbon footprint. I mean, we, exactly. We we make those decisions and we're, we stand by them. I mean, we love working with this, with this brewery. We haul the grain out of there three times a week so you know our cattle are pasture raised and we we do bring the grain on these uh, on our tractors out into the fields and it's almost like an oatmeal mash and they they just love it it's a great diet for them too it's about 95 percent barley and um yeah we do make those decisions decisions and um i joke around sometimes and say well you know everyone's looking for this 100% organic beef, but then they might go ahead and drink a, a Budweiser, a Samuel Adams, or what have you, and that, that may not be organic. But <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> you know, and, and then you have a wonderful local brewery like Captain Lawrence, which I'm sure a lot of you have all heard of. Of course, he's in, yeah. He's down there in Brooklyn and all over. And, um, and so it's great. We love working with these local um, organizations and really complete the circle here. Wow. Well, Laura, thank you so much for coming on today. And if people want to learn more about the farm or find out um, how to come up for a visit, they can check you out at the website, www.hemlockhillfarm.com. 
And I will say, listen in next week. We're going to leave New York State for a couple of weeks and chat with the Jones Family Farm uh, over in Connecticut. So we'll have two shows, Terry and Jamie, um, exploring a little bit about what's happening in Connecticut. So tune in next week to the Farm Report. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.